Welcome to Preparedness Thoughts with John Stephenson. John understands the importance of being prepared. Through rain, rocks, and snow, he has seen it all and survived. He has seen major disasters like Mount St. Helens and how vehicles were stopped in the street from the volcanic ash. Earthquakes, too, including the Loma Prieta earthquake, which felt like it wouldn't stop shaking. People were without electricity and could not hardly buy groceries or gasoline. The homeless lit bonfires in the streets. The Bay Bridge and other freeways were broken. God only knows what will be next. Welcome to Preparedness Thoughts by John Stephenson. We invite Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit to guide us as we examine how our preparations can be used to preserve the life of ourselves, our family, and others. For the few minutes of this program, I talk about things that could go wrong. Why? So that we see, if things do go wrong, what we could do to help preserve the life of ourselves and others. I hope you will consider the different possibilities, consider the chances of these things occurring, and then make preparations which are sensible to you. Ask yourself, if you had no money limitations, what would you do? This will help you to see how you really view the various possibilities of what you want to do deep down in your heart. Sure, look as though you had unlimited resources and then evaluate what it is reasonable to do with the limitations and the money that you do have available Hey, don't be afraid to look at the potential problems, both small and large. For we know all over the world there's problems of every size that people have. Um, But I do want to encourage you, after you look at these problems, to see the solutions to those problems. That is what I hope this broadcast is doing for you. The first step I see is to examine what is a reasonable difficulty that could be in our life. And the next, you make a plan. And after that, you take a small step or large step towards fulfilling that plan. Sure, look at the at ordinary problems like getting a burn on your hand from the stove or having a flat tire on your car or broken fan belt. Something like that where you're broken down on the road. That's a relatively small problem, but it is a problem and you do want to have an answer to it. So, but also look at the big problems. Problems like an earthquake, yep, a volcano, even a hurricane. Or if you want to look further, you can see maybe if the U.S. dollar collapses or a cyber attack occurs, what does that mean? Uh, There's also the possibility of a long-term electrical outage. Experts warn us of these things and also pandemics and famine. Those are all possibilities. Sure, not real remote, but it's up to you to make the determination and what do you want to do. We surely do not know if any of these things might happen. We don't know when any of these things might happen. But if any of these big events do happen, after all, they have happened before. Lots of places in the world, even in U.S. history, they've happened. So I say we ourselves must be prepared And look at our recent history with the 2005 Hurricane Katrina. Well, that was a pretty big thing. And what happened? Well, the federal government's FEMA agency barely got there in two months. I say two months. Yeah. It was just about two months. So it appears that we ourselves should be prepared. Have the preparations we want and not depend on other people who have what they have, because we might not want what they have. So let's get the stuff we want. Historically, it's always been up to the individual to make their own reasonable preparations for themselves and the people around them. So should anyone tell you what to do? No, I don't think so. It's best that you think about what problems could arise and then you determine your own plan towards preparedness. And then the next step is you actually do something. (laughs) That's right. All right, thank you. Uh, This is episode 23. Start your preparations now before there's an urgent need and what you want is hard to find. Remember to give thanks to God for the blessings that you do have. Your letters with questions or donations are important. 
John Stephenson, P.O. Box 7222, Chico, California, 95927. Email prepareforgod at usa.com or call 628-7222. Thank you for listening to Preparedness Thoughts on KKXX. My Savior God to Thee, how great Thou art, how great Thou art. Settle up your Welcome to Red Sky Radio with Rob Walter. This is the program that proclaims liberty to the captives of our beloved nation, where truth trumps political correctness, where the uncompromised word of God exposes the works of darkness and sets free those held hostage behind the iron curtain of a shamelessly biased media. For God has called us to stand for truth, and having done all to stand, we will stand. It's time to fight the good fight of faith to preserve our country, our families, fortunes, and sacred honor to protect our property, our schools, and yes, maybe even salvage some of our churches. America, we have a trail to blaze. It's time to saddle up. It's time to ride. Now, here is your host of Red Sky Radio, Rob Walter. Well, hello, America, and welcome world to Red Sky Radio, where we ride hard for the brand of Jesus Christ. God bless you all. Another packed week, a little different approach this week, not approach, a little different content in the sense that I have a lot of good news. It's not all news that you want to hear, but some of it is just the reality. But sometimes there are those weeks where there are multiple stories that I need to pass on as points of encouragement. And um, I need it. And it's just not a case you need it. I need it. We all need encouragement here and there. And God has a way of bringing along just what we need at the right time and the right amount. You know, there are times where there might be a dearth, if you will, of response to this radio program. And I sort of wonder, gosh, you know, maybe this really isn't having any impact on anybody. You know, I'll give you out the address, what, info at redskyradio.net, and, you know, I just don't really hear too much. And then about the time I start feeling sorry for myself or thinking, hey, this maybe this program's run its course, I will get an email, I'll get a letter, get a contribution from somebody or some people that will say, goodness sakes, last week's program, you just shot the lights out, or I don't know what I would do with this, out this program. Uh, you know, you you give us a, an insight that we cannot find anywhere else. Well, I'm not pointing to me. I point to the Lord straight above because I try to do what he leads me to. Yes, I do go off in the flesh. Sometimes we all do. I try to rein it in best I can, repent, and move on. But every now and then we need a little more good news than normal. God knows what we need when we need it. And I have, I think, four good news stories today, so let's get going. Now, we are going to dive into something that is of some alarm. I'm going to try to finish on a strong note. But again, if you do have a question, comment, criticism, I receive all of them, I constructive and otherwise, info at redskyradio.net, info at redskyradio.net. Okay, let's launch. We have talked on multiple occasions about the role of the United States in its relationship to Israel. I have mentioned numerous times that there's never been a more pro-Israel modern-day president than Donald Trump. In fact, it, it, Trump is so pro-Israel, it, it, it amazes me that there are any Jews who still vote Democrat in this country. I don't know, I mean, are they just stuck in a rut? I mean, the Jews as a whole are smart people on this. I don't know why they and how they get deceived by the disingenuity, lies, deception, and so forth of the left. There's not been a more pro-Israel president than Donald Trump. The explanation for why I think so many Jews still vote Democrat is because a lot of Jews in the United States are not particularly pro-Israel 
themselves. I know that firsthand. Having spoken at Beth, Temple Beth something, I can't even remember what it was, it was five or six years ago in Ventura County, California. There, the group, uh, the audience was probably, I'd say maybe 125, 135 Jewish people that go to that, that, uh, that congregation. Out of six candidates speaking, three Democrats, three Republicans, of which, of course, I was one of the Republicans, I was the only one, the only one out of the six that did not agree with a separate Palestinian state. The Democrats all said it's a two-state solution. The two, two, of the two Republicans says, well, the two-state solution. I got up and said, look, the two-state solution ends up being the final solution for Israel. I was more pro-Israel than anyone that I could identify at that meeting in the listening audience. And I was stunned to find out that the Reformed Jewish congregation in California apparently thought more of the Palestinians than they did the Jewish nation of Israel, which occupies only about, what, one and a half percent of all the sand in the Middle East? The Arabs have all the rest, but that one and a half percent is still too much for the uh, Islamists to let Israel have. I was stunned. So you say, hey, Rob, why don't you get back to the good news? Here it is. Trump did it again. I mean, as he is, he heralded Jerusalem as the true capital of Israel with the embassy moving there, something decried by the U.N., Something decried now by the Democrats because the Democrat Party in the United States has become the official Jew haters. But he's initialed his support for Israel's sovereignty over the Golan Heights, which is the northeastern portion of Israel. So he did this. Uh, he initialed his support for the United States to recognize Israel's sovereignty over the, over the Golan Heights, but like his move to recognize Jerusalem, his decision is at odds with the United Nations resolutions, so writes Ben Avansky of Fox News. Now, what I find interesting about this is that, you know, well, you know, just a second. Let me get to that point after I, I mention this. In his tweet, Trump said, quote, after 52 years, it is time for the United States to fully recognize Israel's sovereignty over the Golan Heights, which is of critical strategic and security importance to the state of Israel and regional stability. End quote. Now, just to remind you, the Golan Heights was taken in the battle with Syria, Jordan, Egypt, when Israel was fighting for its life in 1967. And... Syria is heavily influenced by Iran, and, uh, and Iran has its continued threats to basically, uh, not just basically, but to wipe Israel off the map, to annihilate the Jewish nation. So just kind of park that in the back of your head. you got a neighbor who's facilitating the annihilation of your country. Do you give them back the land from which they used to, in part, attack Israel? Look, I, I couldn't care less about the United Nations and what they think or do. As far as I'm concerned, uh, Trump ought to just evict them, sell the United Nations building, and use, and then turn them into condos. No, no, no. That's right. He wouldn't sell it. Let Trump turn the United Nations building and all the ancillary buildings into condos, and they could buy them. Uh, people could buy them, whatever used to be the suite of a particular country, and then pay down the national debt, but get those losers out of our country. We don't need them on our soil. They hate America. They hate everything Christian. And just get, ship, get them packed up and shipped out. Don't let the screen door slap their fanny on the way out. So anyway, this what now what intrigues me about this is that the UN is demanding and has demanded for 50 years that Israel turn the Golan Heights back over. Now, let me just pose this question. If somebody attacks you with a knife, a hatchet, a chainsaw, a 357 Magnum, 
and they do it and they've robbed you and then you get in the getaway car and they take off. The police catch them. The police confiscate the knife, the hatchet, the chainsaw, the three fifty seven Magnum. They confiscate the getaway car because that's a tool and implement used in the commission of the crime. When you do that, does a criminal get the gun, the knife, the hatchet, the chainsaw, and the car back? Do you give all their tools and implements back to the one who's used them in the attack? Why would you give the Golan Heights back to your attacker, the one who's vowed the death and destruction of your country? Why are they called upon to do something that nobody in their right mind does? Go ahead and give the weapon back to the one who's using it in the attack. Well, uh, last month, a special envoy from the U.N., Gair Peterson, Gair, Gair, I don't know, G-E-I-R, have no clue how to pronounce it, but his last name I do know, Peterson. I think that's Danish. He was... Uh, he pushed aside the idea of Congress passing anything that would recognize the Golan Heights as legitimate Jewish territory over which they can exercise sovereignty. His quote is, and this just blows me away, his quote is, obviously the U.N. Security Council is very clear that Golan is Syrian territory. Obviously the Security Council is very clear that Golan is Syrian territory. Let me ask you, Gair, and all of your United Nations compadres, whose security are we talking about? You shooting your mouth off as a Security Council envoy. Are you talking about Syria's security? Look, Israel isn't attacking Syria. That's never been in its plan, not unless Syria attacks it. Whose security is involved when you talk about the Security Council? It's Israel's security. That Golan Heights means everything to the nation of Israel for its own security. The Golan Heights means nothing to Syria for its security. So shut up, Peterson. You and all your left-wing lackeys at the U.N. Now you're wondering, because I'm getting upset here, what's the good news? Well, first of all, the good news that Trump did it. He's had the guts to do multiple things, which no president, Democrat or Republican, has had the guts to do. Nobody would touch this. No other Republican would touch this issue with a 10-foot pole. All the other Republicans talked about naming Jerusalem as a capital, blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, so did George Bush. Uh, so did, uh, you know, everybody. I mean, did McCain talked about Everybody talked about it, but it took Trump to do it. It took somebody with the guts to say, you know what? I don't give a rat's rear end about my political career. I'm going to do what's right. And he did. And that's who you need in office. Now, I want to finish this because I spent much more time on this than I plan to, but it's really important. Eugene Kantorovich, if I've pronounced that right, Kantorovich, a professor of international law at George Mason University in Washington, D.C., said this about... President Trump. He said, while American politicians of all stripes claim they support Israel's control of the Golan, most lack the courage to translate this into the necessary diplomatic language of sovereignty. That is, until President Trump. Way to go, Mr. President. And following on that along that line, Number two, good news, also from this president. He signs an executive order to preserve free speech on college campuses. Now, I've got three or four points I want to make on this, and i got to get through these, although I guess you probably wouldn't mind having the entire hour for a change um, uh, filled with good news, right? I'm trusting not. So, he, so President Donald Trump signs the executive order advising colleges that they have to respect the students' First Amendment right to free expression or risk losing federal funding. Now, of course, it remains to be seen whether he can pull that off with the courts because the courts are run by left-wing 
are radicals. So, you know, they're going to probably order the president. And at some point, the president just has to say, get lost. You can just take your order, Ninth Circus, whatever. Get lost. You don't have the authority to exceed your authority. And just go cut off the aid. Let the leftists scream. Let them whine. Let them complain. Let them go into apoplectic fits. Let them show up on CNN foaming at the mouth. Who cares? But there are three points that need to be made concerning this bold move. Number one, the left is screaming. And they're screaming because they said, you do not need to do this. You can't do this. No one has ever done this before. And see, and so they call them uh, actually a restrictor of free speech by ordering free speech. This is the hypocrisy of the left. In the name of democracy, they demand that they are entitled, they claim that they are entitled to the solitary, singular political position on campus, and that somehow to order free speech, to give access to many people to the pulpit, so to speak, to the various forums on college campuses is somehow dictatorial. No, it's they're the dictators. They always have been. They always will be. They love free speech as long as it doesn't ruffle their feathers. But if it ruffles their feathers, then they're totally against free speech. They are the Nazis in hiding. And no longer are they really hiding that much. So in the name of what they contend to be anti-totalitarianism, they claim that the president has exceeded his authority by doing by executing an order to ensure that there's no authoritarian order on campus to the exclusion of free speech by conservatives. Now, to their point that no one has ever done this before, actually, I'm still on point number one. Let's call this point 1B because I just made 1A, if you're keeping track. The reason no one has ever done this before is because there never was a need to have to do it before. We have never been in a situation where the left has so dominated the government institutions of lower learning, in my opinion. And I'm sitting here with three college degrees. But as far as I'm concerned, they've become institutions of lower learning. They're not places of education. They're places of indoctrination. I mean, you cannot believe the emails I receive of people telling me that their kids were fine, their kids were Christian, they were great, until they went to some loser school and got screwed up, and they've stayed on leftist steroids ever since. But there was never a need. Look, when the campuses were somewhat balanced and the left took over in the late 60s and early 70s or started to take over, started the rabble-rousing to speak against conservative speakers, there was accommodation for the left. But the left are, are, are dictators. The left are just greedy. They have to control. I've said it a gazillion times. Everything they pass is about control. It's never about freedom. If it were about freedom, they would support this. But they don't because they don't want their dirty laundry aired in the sunshine called free discourse and public debate. Point number two, cutting off the funds. Like I said, I don't know if the president's going to be able to do this. But he can. Actually, he can. I think he just gives the order. Hey, you don't do it. And the court says, you got to pay him. He just say, too bad. Take it to another court. Of course, there is no higher court than the Supreme Court, but he doesn't have to do it. So let me ask you, the left has no morals, never has had morals. And I have said this often, cutting off funds is the answer because the only thing, and I do mean the only thing the left has ever, ever responded to is financial spanking. If you cut off their funds, that's why the universities, they, they're all for federal funds for universities because the universities are simply their political prostitutes masquerading as education. Number three, and not the least, you can chalk this up as yet another fulfilled promise of President Trump. He said, quote, we're here today to take historic action 
to defend American students and American values. Under the guise of free speech codes, safe spaces, and trigger warnings, these universities have tried to restrict free thought, impose total conformity, and shut down the voices of great Americans like those here today. End quote. Well, who was there that day in the signing of that executive order? Well, he had invited representatives of conservative student groups and college groups to the White House to witness the signing, which included, of course, to, uh, uh, to Mr., according to the report here by Mr. Evansky, uh, Hayden Williams, who we talked about a few weeks ago, the conservative activist who was punched in the face by another student at UC Berkeley, the place of free speech. Yeah, as long as your speech agrees with those leftists at the University of California for daring to question that student's leftist beliefs. So he questioned the man's leftist beliefs politely, cooperatively, nicely, and he got decked. So there's your tolerance left. That's what they think of your free speech. Well, so Trump had him come to the White House. Now, the order he has applies to grant-making agencies, but understand that the the institutions of lower learning nationally apply for up to $35 billion in grants each year. Cut it off. You know what? I think you should just cut the funds off to the universities. And let's see how many of those dorkheads, otherwise known as professors, I mean the left-wing professors have been around for a long time, but they have metastasized through the whole system at most universities, one of which is going to shock you later in this program as we call out a university for having thrown away its Christian credentials. But not before I get to the next piece of good news. Kentucky Governor Matt Bevan signs a bill banning abortion based on sex, race, or disability. It's now illegal in Kentucky. Of course, the ACLU, better known as the Anti-Christian Lynching Union, will, will come out against it, file its lawsuits, and they just struck down a bill, a fetal heartbeat bill, meaning once you've got a fetal heartbeat, you can't uh, perform an abortion anymore. And the judge didn't strike it down. He put a stay uh, on its enforcement for a couple of weeks for other arguments to be heard. We'll see where that goes. Of course, the abortionists who continue to try to use federal money and the courts to suppress their guilt for having slaughtered uh, 62 million innocent unborn children in the womb will, will go into hyperspasmic mode to fight this. But I want you to listen to hear something that should just shock you. Probably won't. Actually, it doesn't shock me. But I'm stunned in the sense that the hypocrisy and, frankly, the stupidity of the left could go so far. You know, there's that Bible passage that says that when the, the eye is whole or single, meaning when you're, you're, you have a healthy biblical view of the world and, and you're receptive of the world, the eye lets in the light of the word. And that light fills the whole body but also says that when that eye is darkened, in other words, the heart is closed to the gospel, just how dark is everything inside. And you see, people that you would think to be of normal intelligence can say the most ridiculously stupid things that could only come from a mind that has become unregenerate. You know, I, I, have, I have thought in the past that the unregenerate mind was one that only tended towards extreme evil and lewd and lascivious behavior. But you know what? You can't be dark inside without any light coming in and not having it also affect your faculties of reason and logic and intelligence. The mind does not work like it should when it's darkened by demonic influence, or in some cases, these professors, frankly, possession. How could you have a, how could you be so God-hating, have a PhD, and this, which I know, I'm not knocking all PhDs. Some recognize it stands for piled high and deep. I'm not getting on all PhDs. I've got the equivalent of it myself, 
But you know what? The fact of the matter is education by itself is not the problem, but an education rooted in secular humanism and that God has no place at the table of an educational institution is the problem. And when that happens, the eye of that person, spiritually speaking, becomes darkened and they receive no light. And how dark is the inside? It just doesn't darken their spirit. It darkens their soul. It darkens their mind. It darkens everything. These are people who will in time will begin to lie and cheat over the smallest things, commit voter fraud, go right on down the line. So let's go back to the ACLU and their stunning argument against the Kentucky bill. They have argued that, quote, banning abortion based on sex, race, or disability infringes on a woman's right to an abortion by imposing restrictions on her reasons for doing so. Let me just say that again, that banning abortion based on sex, race, or disability infringes on a woman's right to an abortion by imposing restrictions on her reasons for doing so. Now, ignoring point number one, that uh, the Clinton said abortion is supposed to be safe, rare, and legal, which we knew they were lying. So let's just throw that aside. I don't want to spend much time on that. But listen to their argument. What the See, they only have one other argument, which is politically disastrous. You got stupid or disastrous as the two choices. So let me cover the argument that would be disastrous, and it's their only other argument, and that is that the fetus does not belong and cannot belong to any race or gender. That's the only reason that they, that's the only other thing that exists, which is absolute complete nonsense. I mean, an ultrasound shows it to be a boy or a girl. I mean, I, I, I suppose a black, I mean, if God were wanted it so, a, a white couple could have a black child. An Hispanic couple could have, uh, you know, a, a white child, whatever. I guess God could do those things. But that's just not the way it works naturally, right? You got a black couple that can have a black child. A white couple, a mixed race uh, couple, if both parents are mixed race, can have a mixed race child. It's just the way it works. But that's your only other argument that the fetus doesn't belong to any race or any gender because their argument that they're made, which they think is the most viable, that banning abortion based on race, sex, or disability infringes on a woman's right to an abortion by imposing restrictions on her reasons for doing so, now means they are saying that the, that the mother should have the right should have to the right to exercise complete arbitrary and discriminatory action against individuals who in all of our other court cases were out there trying to protect anything else that you would target somebody for race sex or disability we are going to defend those victims but now you are unfairly restricting this woman's right to discriminate and kill based on race, gender, or disability. Look where they are. Look where this pro-death attitude has taken the ACLU. But they're saying, yes, it is all right to kill little girls. That's interesting because statistically, well... We'll be right back. We're running out of time. We'll be right back with Red Sky Radio. Red Sky Radio with Rob Walter is a listener-supported program. Please know that 100% of your contribution goes to pay for airtime so that as many people as possible are able to hear that the Word of God has answers to every meaningful problem and issue in life. No one gets paid a salary at Red Sky Radio with Rob Walter. But in response to your support, we pledge to bring you the most timely and critical information you need to help make informed decisions in this age of media bias and a growing hostility to all things Christian. Your partnership makes you one of the watchmen on the wall with us, as described in the book of Ezekiel. Please send your support to Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, 
Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. That's Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. Thank you. We are back. This is Rob Older with Red Sky Radio. I've got to finish this story. I may end up, I mean, I know you realize this doesn't look like good news, but it is good news that the Kentucky governor, Bevan or Beaven, I'm not actually sure how it's pronounced. I think it's Bevan, has signed a bill prohibiting abortion based on sex, race, or disability. The ACLU has come out and said, you can't impose restrictions on abortion. If you can't give her, uh, well, you can't have these reasons for not committing abortion. You can't have them. In other words, while there is not a single law anywhere that seems to give you the right to discriminate based on sex, race, or disability, cases which the ACLU has taken forever, uh, taken them on to fight on behalf of those who believe that they've been discriminated against, they carve out a singular exception that you can kill innocent unborn children innocent to start, because of their sex, their race, or their disability. What's a bunch of hypocritical, no, I'm not going to use that word. They're hypocrites. Just leave it at hypocrites. The plaintiff here, I'm sorry, the, the, the counsel for the state of Kentucky, says in plaintiff's view, the 14th Amendment protection it lies for eugenics. This is a perverse distortion of Roe v. Wade. Actually, this that attorney is wrong. It is not, it is not a perverse distortion of Roe v. Wade. It is Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade is a brainchild essentially of Margaret Sanger. She was the one who pushed for abortion on demand. She's the founder of Planned Parenthood, and Margaret Sanger was a fan of eugenics. She hated blacks. She was a racist from the get-go. She thought that whites were a superior race, and abortion was a means by which to keep the black population down. That is a fact. Planned Non-Parenthood has her as its founder. And why do you, why do you, why are all the Planned Parenthood clinics disproportionately at least disproportionately in black and Hispanic neighborhoods? If you're black and Hispanic, you just go pick at that place with a line so thick that nobody can get through. Well, okay, God bless this governor. He said, in Kentucky, we think it's inappropriate to kill an unborn child simply because of its race or the child's gender or of a perceived disability. But that's too much to ask for the folks at the ACLU. They would pretend to speak for what is appropriate in America from a jurisprudence standpoint, from a civic standpoint, for the people that are supposedly defending the civil civic rights of people in this country, nonetheless think it's appropriate that you can kill a child based on its race or on its gender or perceived disability. The people of Kentucky, again, fortunately don't agree with that view. And so this law was passed through this legislature. Now, Governor Bevan is a Christian. This speaks to the importance of having Christians in places of authority and governorships. Right now, he's standing out, in my mind, as the best governor in the United States. Not on the, only this, but some other things. He said, quote, The effectiveness of our pro-life laws and my administration's legal team was made evident in recent weeks when Planned Parenthood and other hard-left pro-abortion groups... I like that. He doesn't call them pro-choice because there's no choice. No choice for the child. He's dead. Hard left pro-abortion groups announced their intent to pool their ample economic and legal resources to fight against Kentucky babies. These groups are bringing $90 million into our state along with additional armies of liberal lawyers to try to tear down Kentucky laws protecting life. As we ponder the heinous nature of the New York law, and the bill that was shamelessly proposed in Virginia, Kentuckians must realize that pro-abortion radicals 
are even suing for the right to dismember a third trimester baby. So Bevan was threatened with the ACL's lawsuit on Wednesday. This was this was the governor's response to the anti-Christian lynching unions tweet. Quote, bring it on. Kentucky will always fight for life. Always. End quote. God bless the bluegrass state. But it doesn't end there because this is the next piece of good news. What Kentucky just passed also just passed in Mississippi. And what just passed in Mississippi has already passed one of the legislatures in Georgia and one of the legislatures in Tennessee. Look, it's about time the Bible Belt just plain gets ticked off and does what it needs to do. They've been passive for too long. And you know what? This is gonna be this could be interesting. Georgia and Tennessee joins, and so Kentucky's there. Mississippi, uh, you got a state in between Mississippi and Georgia called Alabama, for those of you who are geographically challenged, which would be very likely to follow suit, knowing Alabama like I know Alabama. So you've got the deep south. Now, consider the irony here. Out of the deep south, which was the origin of slavery, has come a rebirth of biblical values that is supported by black and white in support of the unborn. Now, what I find interesting is this is this column that looks like it's building from south to north that you go right up right up straight and in the next state north of Kentucky would be Ohio and Indiana and both of those states are capable of following through and they both end in Michigan which is my home state which I sort of consider the crown jewel sort of but right now Kentucky's a crown jewel there would be a column of life starting at the Florida border going all the way up through you know, it would be the second column because you've got that other column from North Dakota down to Texas, which is likely to follow suit. I think this is exciting. In fact, you know what? The Lord just gave me something, what I would call this, that from Georgia all the way up to the Indiana-Ohio borders and maybe further north, maybe all the way to Canada when they get done with this, becomes the corridor of life. I love the sound of that. The corridor of life. Do you think those states will be blessed? Absolutely. Do you think California and New York are going to get hammered? Absolutely. Do you think Western Venezuela and Eastern Venezuela are going to suffer for the consequences of the slaughter of innocent children, supporting it, funding funding it, advocating for it, encouraging it, considering it a religious good? Well, they're already paying for it, and they will continue to pay for it. The corridor of life. I like the sound of that. I'm not taking credit. That came from God here just a few minutes ago. Or this one, the Underground Railroad for the Unborn. Well, anyway, I'm getting carried away, but you get the point. One last piece of good news, and it, this just blows me away, and, they, and it's another one dealing with abortion. I find this these intriguing because of all the time that I've recently spent on pro-life issues which has been very disproportionate, but it's because the left has become even further radicalized in their hatred of God, of hatred of Jesus, hatred of the unborn. How could you like the unborn and kill them? And of all places, this story comes out of New Mexico. Now, I say of all places because I've been hard on New Mexico on this program, the land of enchantment. I'm not really sure what they're chanting over there. My experiences of there have been just, let me put it this, have been weird. However, a month ago, the first sanctuary county for the Second Amendment popped up in eastern New Mexico. I think it was, I don't know, I can't think of the name of the county right now. It's a small county, I mean only 10,000, 12,000 people. But they became a sanctuary city for the Second Amendment. Something I have encouraged for multiple years, ever since there were sanctuary cities for illegals, I've started championing the idea of sanctuary cities for the Second Amendment and then sanctuary cities for the unborn. 
And now we have a sanctuary city for the unborn. And guess where it is? It's in New Mexico. And guess where it is in New Mexico? It's in Roswell. Isn't that the UFO capital of the country? I think it is. I mean, I'm not sure, but I, I mean, it was Roswell where you had all those UFO sightings. And I just, I've, I don't think I've ever been there, but I just concluded that it had to be, the place just had to be weird. My New Mexicans, if that's what they're called there, I apologize. Your state is showing up, not, not in the capital. The capital is screwed up and you know it's screwed up. But in your individual towns and counties, you're doing something that has not happened in any other state. The first sanctuary city for the sec, sanctuary county for the Second Amendment, and the first sanctuary city for the unborn. God bless you guys. Don't know what else to say here, but this, but uh, sanctuary cities. Well, yes, I do have something else I want to add to this. I'm I'm not going to get to anything but good news today at this rate. Gee, what a what a problem that is. Consider the contradiction here. When the left has talked about sanctuary, the sanctuary for the left has always, always been for criminals, those participating in illegal behavior, criminal behavior. When we talk about sanctuary on the right, it's for biblical values and for innocent people. Isn't that something? You know, now there were sanctuary cities in the Bible called cities of refuge. I consider Arizona a state of refuge, having escaped the oppression of the state of California. But they were cities of refuge where a person would flee to if they killed somebody, but they had a, the belief was that it was self-defense or it was purely accidental. Because you had the, the, the eye for the eye and tooth for a tooth, law in in operation so they could flee to a sanctuary city where the matter would be dealt with accordingly and if it wasn't then the party had to stay there until the death of the high priest and then they were released i can't get into all of that but the idea of sanctuary for those who are innocent has been around since biblical times meaning that the killing was accidental they weren't guilty of murder but the left has always supported sanctuary in the context of that which is illegal. The right has considered sanctuary in the context of protecting the innocent. Okay, my time is up. I finally have to move on to something that maybe you don't want to hear about. Um, my younger son graduated from Arizona, Arizona, Azusa Pacific University. A university that has been known for some time as being a good, solid Christian university. But he told me in his waning days at APU, as it's called, Arizona, Arizona, why do you keep seeing that, saying that? Azusa Pacific University in California, that there was a left turn at that university. And he said, Dad, he said, there is a great irony. He said, in the areas that are traditionally the hotbeds and the core of leftist liberation theology, leftist political ideas at a university usually comes out of the social studies department. Not necessarily history, but clearly sociology, the psych department, the poli-sci, the political science department, and so forth. I concur. I was a political science major at the University of Michigan, and it was a left-wing uh, enclave when I was there in the early 70s. And he said the irony at, at Azusa Pacific University is that the traditional hotbeds, the core areas of hotbed left-wing uh, ideology is not the social studies department. It's the theology department. He said the ones that have walked the plank of secular humanism is the so-called religious faculty. Not all of them, but he said the most unbiblical manifestations in the, in, the, in the professorial ranks of Azusa Pacific University came from the theology side, not from the social studies side. And that shocked me. It just shocked me. But he's, and, 
and he got out of there early. Now, I, truth be known, I told him, like, hey, I, I'm okay with you marrying the girl of your dreams. I'd like you to graduate from college first, though, before you got married. So he said, oh, okay. Went back, doubled up his hours, graduated a year and a half early, got married, and now he's got five kids. So we see the motivation behind that. But it was a godly motivation, and I'm, and I'm thrilled about it. But here's what Azusa Pacific University has just done. It's the end. It is the beginning of the end of a once great institution, APU. And now you can just call it PU because they've removed their ban. This is a Christian college removing its ban on same-sex romantic relationships. Yep, that's what they did. The university, and I'm going to quote from this article by Michael Grabowski from the Christian Post reporter liberally here um, in the interest of time. He says, the university changed their student guidelines on inappropriate sexual behavior last Thursday, removing the ban on homosexual relationships. Now, let me just stop with a quote there. So what they're saying, contrary, hypocritically, and as as PU or PU now just simply lies, they're saying, no, we don't support it. Uh, we don't. We're not giving our blessing to it, but 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 it's fine on campus. How can you remove a ban on homosexual relationships, and st- as stating in the student guidelines on what constitutes inappropriate sexual behavior? How do you remove the ban without giving the blessing to sodomy? APU or PU spokesperson Rachel White. Come on, Rachel, throw it on us here, babe, because you're screwed up. Explained that the changes were part of an overall update of the undergraduate student handbook. Quote, the old handbook produced decades ago underwent a significant revision and redesign after input from student leaders, board, faculty, administration, and staff. End quote. Now, what she didn't say in there was, after severe pressure and considerable input from LGBTQRSTUVWXYZ groups. But what Rachel is really saying is, the Bible is out of date. Our student handbook, which was based on biblical guidelines, it's old. It was produced decades ago. So we underwent a significant revision because we want the university to be more like the culture than the culture to be like the mission of this university. So White goes on to say that the ban on same-sex relationships did not... Okay, I look, I don't want to cause you to barf, to hurl, to puke, to Ralph, to vomit. But I'm going to read this and stand close to the bathroom or a pan or something. But I just got to, I got to tell you what this university has done that is, this is shocking to have jumped to this so quickly. White said, this Rachel White, the PU spokesperson, said that the ban on same-sex relationships, quote, does not reflect our commitment to disciple our students and point them to Christ. End quote. What? Uh, the ban on same-sex, in other words, the ban on sodomy, prohibiting that which call, God calls an abomination, doesn't reflect our commitment to disciple our students and point them to Christ. Let me ask you, Rachel, babe, what about sodomy points people to Jesus Christ? My goodness, woman. My goodness, university. I don't know if they told her to say this or if she's making up as they go along. She goes on to say, quote, APU is an open enrollment campus, and some students who choose to attend do not share our Christian faith perspective, end quote. So let's just water it down. Let's just get rid of everything that we have stood for for a, for what? I don't know, a century? I don't know how long the school's been around. A long time. 
It's an open enrollment. We want everybody to feel comfortable and welcome and everything. And so uh, they don't choose. They don't want to share a Christian faith. So we'll just throw our Christian faith in the toilet. That's what we'll do. And we'll just we'll just go along with all this stuff that God calls an abomination. To what? Attract more queers? Why don't you just turn it over to LGBT, GTQRSTUV agenda head and spokespeople and let them run the university? Because you don't have to. They already are. She says, we're committed to sharing the gospel with all our students, and we support all our students in making decisions that will enhance their spiritual formation. Let me ask you, how does sodomy enhance your spiritual formation? Quote, the new handbook, which includes a section section on sexual stewardship, affirms our mission to be Christ-centered, applies uniform standards to all students, Queer, pedophiles, whatever. I don't know. No, that's not in there, but that's what their direction they're going. States that APU is biblical and orthodox in our evangelical identity and calls the university to develop disciples and scholars for Christ. What is this? Are you going to have a new organization at APU called Sodomites for Jesus? Is that what is that where this is going? She goes on to say, well, the university still defines marriage as being exclusively between one man and one woman. And it also prohibits unmarried heterosexual couples living on campus from cohabitating. Well, wait a second. Apparently it doesn't prohibit homosexuals from cohabitating. So, but you, but but now apparently I guess the thing is you can commit sodomy. Just as long as you don't live together, and they're fine with it because it's part of their formation and of discipling and leading people to Jesus Christ. She said, "We expect that all students will respect and adhere to our standards, including those related to sexuality." Did you hear that? We expect our all students will respect and adhere to our standards, including those related to sexuality. Well, let me ask you: Why? What problem are homosexuals going to have? adhering to your standards of sexuality when your standards of sexuality are now fine for with, to a, accommodate sodomy and queer relationships. So you got two lesbos going around campus kissing and hugging. They're fine with that. This is a Christian university. This sucks. I'm sorry. There is no other way to put it. I am angry. Jesus said to be angry and sin not. He said, Rob, why do you get so angry about this? I will tell you why. Is, is this area worse than all other sins? Yes and no. No in the sense that the Bible says, you know, if you sin in one area of the law, you've sinned in all areas of the law. And in that sense, sexual sins are no different than committing murder or theft or lying or cheating, any of those things. You commit one, you're guilty of all. But here's why it is worse. This is distinctly why it's worse. There is nothing but this... Nothing about murder we call good. We don't call adultery good. We don't call cheating and stealing good. But we call everything queer good and natural and normal and healthy. Look, we don't have deadbeat dads for Christ, right? But you got gay lesbo organizations. You don't have the L.A. wife beaters parade, but you got the L.A. Gay Pride Parade. You don't have the uh, future tax cheaters of America club in high school, but you got the Gay, Lesbian, and Straight Alliance. You see, nothing about other areas of sin do we call good, but we do this one. We're calling that which is evil good, and now good that which is evil, meaning the people that are good that stand up for righteousness, they're calling them evil. And APU, now PU, don't send a stinking dime. Don't send your kids there unless you want them to. KKXX Paradise K280GL Chico and K283AR
Radar from townhall.com. I'm Keith Peters. Aircraft maker Boeing defended its 737 MAX jets today at a hearing on Capitol Hill in the Senate Commerce Committee's Aviation Subcommittee. Boeing Vice President of Product Strategy Mike Sinette says the company is working to make sure there are no further issues with the MAX jetliners. Our hearts go out to all of the loved ones and friends and family of the people that were lost. We mourn this loss of life, and we're going to do everything that we can do to ensure that accidents like these never happen again. There have been two other crashes in five months of the 737 MAX 8 jetliner, one in Indonesia, the other in Ethiopia. President Trump has met face-to-face with the wife of Venezuela's opposition leader. Juan Guaido's wife, Fabiana Rosales, was welcomed to the Oval Office where she described a terrible crisis. The power crisis is very serious. Children are dying. President Trump said what's happening in Venezuela should not be happening. What's going there is... Unfathomable. He pledged continued U.S. commitment to Venezuela, said Russia has to get out, and when asked about possible military intervention, repeated, all options are open. Greg Clugston, Washington. British lawmakers have voted on eight different possible Brexit options, but none received the majority support that would clarify the U.K.'s course. Parliament's trying to find an alternative to Prime Minister Theresa May's twice-rejected EU divorce deal. Lawmakers voted Wednesday on options that included leaving... 